Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. Hey, if you're here for the first time, my name is Dom. I'm Pastor Dom, that you've probably heard a bit about. And, uh, and I, I tend to walk. And uh, some people like that, and other people just make fun of me. So uh, the people that make fun of me, they can find another church. And so anyway, <laughs> you like that? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. Uh, uh, we are, uh, we are look, really excited to be able to continue to learn in a series we started last week on this topic of Advent. And as I begin this morning, I want to... I want to like, invite you to think about a question that I've been thinking about for a long time. Okay, here's a question to think about. If you're watching online, special welcome to you. Uh, we've always encouraged you to join us in person, but uh, you know, we understand that that can be possible all the time. But here's a question. If you met someone who had never heard about Christmas before, and they asked you, hey, do you believe in Christmas? Are you a Christian? How would you begin to tell them what Christmas is about? Just think about that. If you met somebody asked you, hey, do you believe in like Christmas? I saw commercials. Uh, I hear about this. Like, what is Christmas about? Like, what is that? What would you say to them first? Just think about, would you feel comfortable? Would you be like, I think I know what I would say? Would you feel like you'd struggle? I, I, I thought about this question a lot because I think for, for many, many years of my life, if somebody asked me that kind of question, I'd be very, very nervous. Because what I would probably say is like, maybe you come to the church or maybe there's somebody I know that could help you with that. And I realized that for many people, even people who would say they're Christians, they probably would not know how to maybe help someone understand what does it really mean to call yourself a Christian and to believe in Christmas? And you know, what I started to do is I started to think about that because I believe that one of the most important things we can do as a church and as people who are learning about God is to help you articulate what you really think about Christmas, to help you think about the faith and what God maybe is teaching you about His power and His presence in your life so that you one day could share with somebody who might have a question. Now, you know, because of the internet, you can share anything you want. Like I know people are sharing recipes, they're sharing pictures, and they're sharing all of these things that are easy to share. But when it comes to sharing a little bit more in-depth things like about Christmas, just like a picture or a meme or Jesus is the reason for the season or some verse that you see, like that's not enough in the world that we live in today where people are like, what are you talking about? Now some of you know this, a few weeks ago, uh, you know, I started working on this little, little resource. It's a, it's a small book. You'll see a picture of it up here. It's a small book that we basically have been working on with some wonderful people from our church, helping me get it together and get it on Amazon. You'll probably see a picture any minute now. It'll be up there. And three, two, one. There you go. It's on Amazon right now. Okay, there you go. Uh, it felt like the Amazon delay as well. So it took a little while to get on there. It's both in a Kindle format and in a paperback format. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have some here. All of the resources for this are going back to helping people learn about the Bible, learn about Jesus in the context of discipleship. So I know some of you are thinking, well, if I buy a book, is Dom making a lot of money? Sure, I'm going to be loaded. All right. So uh, 
Some of you got that. Yeah. I, I think about many people who wish they had a resource that would help others and help them talk about why at Christmas everybody really struggles to believe. You know, the title of the book came from this idea that as I went back and read about the Christmas story, I realized so many people on that first Christmas season are all struggling to believe in God. They're all like wondering, how could this be possible? What is God doing? What's happening? And, and there's a space that takes place as they work out their questions, as they work out their doubts, as they work out their struggles. And you might be surprised, like I... I know many churches, and I grew up in a space like this, where if you told somebody you struggled to believe in something, oh, that wasn't a good thing. So you know what happened? You pretended that you believed everything. As long as nobody asked you a question. As long as nobody asked you a difficult question where you're like, you know what, I'm not sure what I believe about that. Or I'm not sure how I would explain that there's a God who takes the form of a human, and somehow that comes together in this strange mystery, and I'm like, doesn't that sound crazy? You're like, yeah, it really does. I don't know how I would begin to share that with someone, with someone else. And so this is a resource that I want to encourage you to think about if you think it'll help you, especially if you're thinking about someone you know that struggles to believe in the meaning of what Christmas is all about. And so one of the things that I want to do this morning is I want to take you back to something we started last week, which is this series we call in the series about Advent. And Advent is this beautiful time where we wait and listen and pray. And if you remember, I gave you three simple words to think about Advent last week. Some of you remember them if you missed it because you, you know, slept in or work or something, whatever. Obviously, the sermons are online. But the three words are very, very simple. Anyone remember them? All of you do. Amen. All right, let's pray. You can go. That Advent is a season where in our waiting, we pray. And as we pray, we pay attention to our longings to the things we're longing for. We actually sang about it. Mel did a wonderful job even just sharing about the fact that all of Christmas, even the music that we sing, is the sense that the people of God are waiting. Like, oh, come, Emmanuel. God, are you going to come now? Are you going to help me now? Are you listening now? Are you going to help us through this? And longing is this beautiful category for paying attention to the things that we desire. I want to tell you something. If you're writing things down or you want to take notes, you want to think about this, that every time you think about the things that you long for, they usually point to the thing that you worship. If you forget anything else about this morning, remember that. That the things that we long for often point to the things that we worship. That the things we most desire to have. And you know, a lot of times at this time of year, we realize that we, we long for the wrong things. And I'm not talking about wanting a gift or you know, wanting to do a good thing. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the deep longings, the things that, we, that, that we, we see around us and we think, if only I had that, I'd be happy. If only I had that, I'd, I, you know, I'd feel confident. If only I had that, I would look like a success to other people. My parents would be happy. My grandparents would be If only, if only, if only. All of these longings that creep up at this time. And Advent is that window where God says, hey, what if I heal all of those false longings in you? What if we kind of talk about the real longings that you should have at this time and the ones that should stir in you a desire to have God do something new in your life? I know many times in my own life that I've longed for the wrong things. I've longed for the Montreal Canadiens to win two games in a row, like back to back. Anyone else? The little kid there is amen. Right there. I've longed for a package from Amazon for like a month now. I've longed for all of these things. And, you know, this week, even as I was preparing, I was thinking sometimes in my life, because I long for the wrong things, I become someone 
that makes someone else struggle to believe in Christmas. Let me say that again. Sometimes because I long for the wrong things, I become a hurdle for someone else to really understand Christmas. Because I become the person who kind of almost makes Christmas something that it never was meant to be. And in order of being someone who helps somebody, I become a hurdle in their own story. Maybe this Advent, God wants to show you that you have been a hurdle in someone else believing in Jesus. Is that too early to start with that? Some of us, if we're not careful, we become a hurdle for our kids being able to take the next step to follow Jesus. For our co-worker to take the next step. For a friend that we care about. We actually become the person that becomes a hurdle because they thought we were Christians. They thought we believed in God. They thought we cared about the story of Jesus. And they watch us and they're like, if being a Christian is like you, why would I want any of this? So Advent is the time where God says, hey, hey, let's slow down and pay attention to maybe the longings that you have that are making you a struggle to someone else. And all of us get a chance to do this. And in the Bible, you know, it's really fascinating, is the people in the Bible, the people of God, they get a chance to do this and they start to say to God, would you forgive us for these longings that we've had that are not good longings, that we wanted to have our lives on our terms. We wanted a king that was going to make us happy. And God says, watch what I do now. And, and you know this if you were here last week that many of the prophets in the Old Testament will write about this language of longing. And they'll start to help the people, give the people a new language to talk about what it means that God is about to do something new. I want to read a passage from the prophet Isaiah, which is this beautiful passage that I think about often during the time of, of Christmas. This is what it says. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of, of his messengers or the messengers who brings good news. The good news of peace and salvation, the news that the God of Israel reigns. Maybe some of you have heard this passage before. It's an ancient, ancient passage. By the way, a little sneak peek. Next week, some of our kids are going to sing a song that comes from this passage. They're going to sing about the fact that, like some of you parents know, because you've been hearing the song in your house or in your car, I have a little bit, and it's like, it's a nice song, but I'm going crazy, okay? But it's nice, it's nice. So next week, be ready to clap. But it's like, these feet are made for walking, all this fun stuff, right? And every time I, I think about this, I think about this idea that the Bible calls Christmas good news. Now, I want to tell you a confession, a personal confession, and, and something that will, for each of us, no matter where you're watching from today, this will be the biggest challenge for you being ready for Christmas this year, okay? This will be the biggest, biggest challenge you and I face this year, is a few weeks ago, I got an app on my phone to look up for news. Some of you know this. There's like a bazillion apps you can get on your phone, and if you get this app, you, it's, a, it's a news app. There's a lot of different news apps. And as I downloaded this app, what happened was really, really fascinating. The app prompted me to ask me what kind of news I would be interested in. You ever do this? So what do you click? You're like, you know, I like a bit of gaming, uh, a little bit of sports, uh, you know, a little bit of spirituality, religion. You know, I click that one. Technology. Then I saw like handyman, handywoman. I'm like, do not click that. Okay. So... All these things, right? And I'm doing this, and I realize that we live in a world that whenever we see the word news, news means something that we think is good for us. Okay? Every category for news that we have today makes us the decider if news is going to be good. Now, this is so important. You have to understand this. That we live in a world where we are the ones who are told, hey, you decide if this is good news. And you know what? If you don't like this news, don't, don't click off that box. That everything around us makes news, good news, based on what we feel is good news. What we decide we're interested in. And if we're not interested in it, we don't want to hear about that news. 
that the world is rigged around saying, you know, there's a lot of news out there, but we just want to give you the news that you want to hear. We just want to give you the news that you feel you might like to hear, right? That's the category of what good news has become today. And then we hear the word good news in the Bible, and we're never ready for it. Because good news in the Bible is this moment where God says, I don't care if you're ready to hear this. I'm about to present something to you and help you see something that you would not have naturally just clicked on as something you're interested in or something you might like. So that means that the news that we get at Christmas is this news that hits us and is meant to confront us in some way. To confront all of these things that we believe about God, about life, about ourselves. And think about all along, we are trained to be people to say, you know what, I don't really like that. I'm not interested in that. I don't think I want that. And look at the passage. If you go back to the passage just for a second, I want you to see this passage, how beautiful it is. That In this passage, it talks about people's feet that are committed to bringing good news to other people. Okay? This is so important because we only bring good news to other people when we first believe it's good news for us. We only really care about bringing the good news to someone if we know that somehow that news has done something in us first. It's not like a car that you buy. It's not like a review that you have on a, a, a tablet. It's like nothing else. And the people who are bringing good news, what are they doing? Are they going to the beach? They're on mountains. Have you ever tried to climb a mountain? Have you ever thought of, yeah, I know what you're thinking of. I like hiking. I love that. No, no. In Isaiah, when Isaiah writes about these people on the mountains, it's meant to help us understand that the good news you're going to hear about is this good news that people sacrificed to pass on. If you don't believe Christmas is good news, you're never going to invest in the things that God is doing. If you don't believe Christmas is really about good news, you're never going to commit to sacrifice so that another person would hear the good news. You never will. Because you'll think that news means what you might be interested in this season. But in Isaiah, we begin this moment where the prophet says, hey, hey, there were people who were so transformed by the fact that God was doing something new. That their feet, that they were hurting. Like, I just think about feet of people walking and hurting, and we're like, oh, you know, it's, it's kind of beautiful. But it's not beautiful in the sense that they're polished. It's beautiful because they've given everything to pass on this good news that God is at work. I know so many people that I've met over these past few months who have stopped believing in good news. They just believe in private news. Well, you interpret it however you want, whatever you like, whatever you want, like this. And then you read about Christmas. No wonder Christmas makes no sense to people. And Isaiah says, no, no, there was news that was good news whether people were ready for it or not. Because the good news of Christmas is not about whether you feel it's good news or whether you think it's good news. Isaiah says, this is good news is about to change everything. And only when you believe that in your heart are you committed to saying, God, make me a person whose feet are ready to share this good news. Do you believe that God might use you to pass on his good news to someone? The answer is no if you don't believe that the good news has changed you. The answer is no if you don't believe you're ready to sacrifice for what that good news might look like. And I want to tell you that we would not know anything about the birth of Jesus were it not for other people who said, we need to write down and sacrifice so that others would know the good news of Jesus. Now, if you've never read the Christmas story, again, I, I talk a little bit about this in the small little guide that you, you can read, but very, very quickly, there's four Gospels that we have in the New Testament in the Bible. These are the most ancient texts available for anybody who's interested in Jesus of Nazareth. So meaning, if you're an atheist, 
or if you don't believe in God, you would still have to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John if you want to learn about Jesus. You don't have to believe that he's God, but you have to read them to figure out who he was, okay? And so I just have a picture for you to show you. This is my graphic work, okay? You like this? This took me a long time, okay, to do this. I'm kidding, but some of you maybe will remember if you see it like this. That Mark is the first gospel that was written. It's the oldest one that we have. So if you're thinking about like wanting to think more deeply about Christianity, you should know this. Now, some of you, that might bother you because if you pick up a Bible, the first book of the New Testament is not Mark. It's Matthew. So you're like, wait a second. Why is it like that? It's a long story. Come to one of our learning series, okay? But Mark is the oldest and John is the last one to write. And in the middle, you have Matthew and Luke. And Matthew and Luke are the writers who tell us the most about Christmas. The shepherds, the magi, Herod, no room in the inn. All of the stories you hear will come from Matthew and Luke. So I want to encourage you, maybe this season, if you have time, if you're tired of doing this, if you're ever tired of that, you would sit down and be like, I'm going to read a chapter from the Gospel of Luke. Or I'm going to have Suri read me Luke chapter 1. Try that. Okay, you can do that. It's not that hard. And when you go and you start to read the story, you realize that Luke himself was not one of the first followers of Jesus. Luke was not when Jesus, when Jesus was around, when he was on earth. Luke at some point experienced someone sharing with him the what? The good news. Somebody told Luke about Jesus of Nazareth. And Luke is like, wait a second. Say that again slowly. Say it again. No, Luke, let me tell you. There was someone who came and he wasn't just a rabbi and he wasn't just a teacher. He came and he was God and the world has never been the same because of him. Luke is like, oh my goodness, why have I been wasting my life with anything else? So Luke says yes to Jesus. And he writes and he begins to write. And we have in Luke's gospel, which I want to spend some time looking at this morning, one of the most profound moments of tension in the story of Christmas. Again, if I was someone to introduce somebody to Christmas, I would very, very quickly start talking about Jesus, about the angels, about all these things. But Luke says, hey, before we get to Jesus, this is Advent. We want to prepare you for Jesus. We want to prepare you to pay attention to the things that you might have to confess or give up or surrender or pray about or cry about. We want to prepare you for that. So he tells us about a couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth. That's what Luke does. And we're told something so beautiful about this couple. And this is, I'll read it for you, and this is what it says. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, works at the temple, and his wife Elizabeth. I like to call them Zach and Liz. That's kind of nice, you know. That's hip for some of you who care. Okay, nobody cares. Uh, both of them were righteous in the sight of God. If you were reading this from your Bible, you would probably circle that they were righteous in the sight of God. Observing all of the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. That's kind of, like, you're like, this is Christmas? If you told somebody, like, this is how Christmas starts, what would they say to you? Come on. Where is, like, you know, the, the, the good stuff? This is it. This is Luke's introduction to, like, Christmas. How come it doesn't say Mary and Joseph right away? Because he's like, you have to know Zach and Liz first. And it tells us something that's so important. That right away we're introduced to the fact that someone who's a priest and someone who's been faithful has been struggling to believe that God will answer their prayers. And it tells us that Zach and Elizabeth, Zachariah and Elizabeth, are old now. Do you know anybody that's old? Don't look around, but there's some people in this room. 
there. Don't look at me. <laughs> the Bible's trigger for old is, is meant to help us understand that these are people who've lived their lives, they've given to God. It's something I hear today. You know, you'll hear it often today from people like, I've done my time. Anybody ever say that to you? It's probably I, I, it's something I hear the most from people who've been in church a long time. Well, I've done my time. Oh, you want to help with this? I've done my time. I've done my time. I'm like, have you ever read about Zechariah and Elizabeth in the Bible? I'm sure they would have been like, I have, the, I have done my time people. Not only have they done their time, they've been faithful in the ways of God. They've been faithful. And let me tell you something about a confession about my own life. That when I was growing up, I always believed that people who were faithful, people who did the right thing, people who loved God, when they prayed, God listened to them more. You ever believe that? You're like, if I do the right thing, and if I'm, you know, if I'm really like at the church, and if I'm always serving the Lord, then when I pray for my kids, they're going to find the right person to marry. And then your kids tell you, look who I'm dating. And you're like, oh boy, well, Lord, we've been praying. How come you didn't answer? No, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Whoever you're dating, that's beautiful. But it's this idea that I lived for the longest time so upset at God because I did all the right stuff and then God didn't answer my prayer. And at the beginning of Luke's story about Christmas, at Advent, he says, hey, let me tell you about a couple who probably felt that. A couple who probably felt that tension. That Zechariah, not only he and Elizabeth had committed to be those who followed the teachings of Yahweh, but Zechariah was a priest. He was like one of me. Someone who was faithful. His job was to teach the people of God to come to God in prayer. His job was to help the people of God surrender to God daily. And Zechariah now, we're told, he's in this moment in the, in the temple, Luke says to us, and he's performing his duties, and as he's performing his duties, God decides that it's time for him to start to introduce people to this good news that's coming. That's what we're told. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Similar, they were worshiping like we are, right? And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Wow. Can you like? Every time I read this passage, I think I've read it like so many times, obviously. I study it. I'm just like, I would be so happy and upset at the same time. I don't have a word for what that is. I'd be like happy that God heard my prayer and angry and wanting to say, it took this long. Do you know how old we are? And Zachariah's working this out and, and trying to think about all these ideas. Like what is happening? Obviously afraid. I wish Luke would have told us more about it, but he doesn't. If you want to remember something this Christmas, I want to tell you something that maybe no one's ever told you. That each one of us, if we had angels at our disposal to do the work we wanted to do for them, we would never ask a human to do anything for us. Right? Let's say you had an angel that worked for you, that you could dispatch to send a message to somebody when it's time to send a message. How many would ever say, I'm doing all my messages through that angel? How many of you? Right? And how many of you would say, there is no way I'm ever trusting anything that's important to anyone that's not an angel? Sign me up. Right? And then you read about Christmas and you're like, God, why would you send an angel to tell us that you want to use humans? 
That at Christmas, God says, I'm about to tell you that there's something about this story that my creatures, my human creatures, those that I've created, have to participate with me so that they will understand that the good news is for them. The good news is not for the angels. The angels don't need this good news. The angels come to tell us that God wants to use us. And not just us who are strong, us who have it all together, us who are, those who are old and a baby who is young and those who are far off and those who are rich and those who are poor. Do you believe that God has good news that only you can share with people? Do you believe that? I know a lot of people don't believe that and they don't even care. And I read this and I'm thinking, so God, you sent an angel to tell us that you're going to use us? That is crazy. Just do everything with the angels. That, that would be my advice to God. Just keep sending them. They won't make mistakes. They're not annoying. And God, if you haven't met any annoying humans, trust me, there's a lot of them. They're everywhere. And so many times, I think of the times that God called me to do things and I failed. I struggled to respond courageously. God asked me to be generous and I was greedy. God asked me to tell the truth and I twisted it. I did all these things. I'm like, the angels would have listened better, God. Should have sent them. The angel has come to Zechariah. And Zechariah is told, hey, something is about to change forever. First of all, you have a baby reveal coming up. Have you ever watched a baby reveal with the balloons? Have you ever seen how crazy that is? And the people like, they're, they're trying to hit it. I, I, I was so tempted if, to, to show you a video. You want to see one right now? No, I don't have one. Whatever. Okay. So, but, but you're longing for it already. You're like, you're going to watch it while I'm speaking. Watch it. Okay. okay. There's these baby reveals. You're like, we're having a boy. We're having a girl. Can't we? Zachariah is told, you, Zachariah, are going to be a father. I once worked with someone who found out they were going to be a father when they were 55 years old. The first time. They told me and I was like, that's cool, bro. <laughs> I walked away. I'm like, that's intense. That's intense. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, right? But Zachariah and Elizabeth are like, we, we don't know, obviously, because Luke doesn't emphasize those things, but we feel that because we're human. We can feel the way, like, what? And I've talked about this before. Every time I think about Zachariah going home and telling Elizabeth, hey, I planned a date night. You get it? <laughs> like, we, God's using us. You remember we thought that God had forgotten about us? Remember we thought that God wasn't listening to our prayers because they didn't get answered? You remember all those things? God is about to bring good news and he's going to use us. And not only do they know that, that he's having a son, his name is going to be John. I think about how profound this moment is where God says to us, but before you can understand who Jesus is going to be, you need to listen to what John is going to do. And we're told exactly what John is going to come to do. The angel tells Zechariah this. This is what we're told. He, John, will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of the prophet Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, if you're reading this in your Bible, it might sound very weird. It's kind of strange. And so I did this on the slide so you could see it. But Luke uses a, a little section of the prophet Malachi when he tries to tell the people this is what John is going to do. This is what John's life is going to be about. And I try to think of Zachariah as a father. Some of you know this. I'm a dad. I have three kids, three boys. I, like, I can't get my kids to pick up their socks, okay? I can't get my kids to, like, do basic things. 
I can't imagine Zachariah telling John, hey, Zachariah, John, like, let me just tell you, whatever you thought you were going to do, I'm telling you what you're going to do with your life. Zachariah's responsibility is to hear the angel and to understand that these are the kinds of things that John, their son, is going to do. Now, you might never have picked this up, but this is profound, profound language that's both hopeful and corrective as we go towards Christmas. Because the prophet Malachi was a prophet who wrote to the people of God to remind them that they were slaves because they were disobedient. That they, they had experienced what it was like for parents and grandparents to turn their hearts from God. And now the prophet Elijah, in the spirit of prophet Elijah, John is going to come to help children and parents start to turn their hearts toward the right things. I don't know if you've ever tried this, but one of the hardest things that you will have to do is to understand someone from a different generation. Try to understand someone who's really, really young or really, really old and make sense of that. The church is one of the only places in the world that's left where people from multiple generations all worship together. I had a taste of how beautiful and how challenging that is last week as I did a hot topic night with our young adults. I sat with some of our young adults from our church and we chatted, we had some pizza, we connected, heard their stories, and I thought, God, as I was listening to them, I thought, that's such a good question. That's such, a, that's such a good concern. That's such a challenging idea. And I asked the young adults, I said, you know, what kinds of things that we're talking about here could we ever share with our whole church family? Like, what can we say? And, you know, there were moments where I'm like, woo, I, I, I'm not sure. I mean, some of them obviously we can share about some things, but I thought, what would it look like for a church to believe that God uses every generation together to work and to love and to grow in the ways of Jesus? What does that look like? What does it look like that we commit as parents to be those who model for our kids what it's like that our hearts are focused on the right things. Over the past few weeks, we've been encouraging you even to think about a little advent tree that's somewhere in your house where you would stop, just read a little prayer with your kids. Just, just remind them, hey, hey, let's just remember that in the midst of all the good gifts we might get, we want to remember how much it cost God to give us the most important thing. That in the life of John, we are invited to see that God is about to do something that heals generations. The word for children in that passage is not just my children and your children. It's the children of God like a people group. The children as in all of Israel. And that John as a child and Zechariah as a symbol of the older generation, their hearts are going to be turned and they're going to see eye to eye and they're going to start to understand what God is calling them to. In this moment, I can't imagine Zachariah thinking about this. If you remember the beginning of the story, Luke tells us that people are outside praying and waiting, and Zachariah is inside, and he's experiencing this, this madness, and Zachariah does what every single person I know would do next. What does Zachariah do? Zachariah says, hey, a angel, like, I don't want to be mean or anything, but I have some questions. Like, I have some struggles. This is what we're told. Zachariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. Some of you know this. I want to encourage you to go and read it. That Zechariah, from this moment on, after this moment with the angel, will be silenced by the angel and not be able to speak again. The angel says to Zechariah, that there's something about his heart not being ready to receive the good news that makes him someone that can be trusted with the good news right now. It's a profound moment in the story. Like you're like, 
I, I always feel this. I don't know if you feel this. I'm like, that kind of sounds mean. Like it seems extreme. It seems like maybe that's too far. And maybe there's something that we need to learn that God can work even when we're silenced. You ever think about that? I meet a lot of people that I think God should silence. You? Anyone? Thank God for his snooze 30 days. There's times in my life where I prayed that God would silence me because I didn't speak from a place of love and a place of care. I spoke from a place of bitterness and anger. I spoke from a place of wanting to get people back. I spoke from a place of wanting to gossip. I spoke from that place. I wasn't a person who was shaped by the good news and excited to share the good news. I was a person who knew the good news, but it didn't apply to me. It applied to others. And I look back in my life, and when I didn't keep my mouth shut, I became a person who made others struggle to believe in God rather than help them to believe in God. Maybe Zechariah is a reminder to us that sometimes God prefers if we shut up. Some of you have to maybe learn that if you have nothing to say that's going to help someone move closer to Jesus, say nothing in that moment. Just listen. It's shocking to me that I meet so many people who say that they love Jesus and almost everybody around them who are their friends move further and further away from Jesus every year. Shocking. Zechariah is going to be silenced. This is a priest of God. Silenced. But God will continue to work. He'll continue to work behind the scenes. And Zechariah now realizes that, oh my goodness, I have to convince my wife without speaking that we have to have a baby. You think he's drawing it? There's no YouTube. Babe, watch this YouTube video. We're going to do that. I'm going to make you dinner. What are they going to do? We're in this story and Luke is like, follow along. This is the good news. The word Christmas never appears in the Bible, not even once. If you're sharing with somebody who's never believed in Christmas, I ask you to remember to start with that. Just tell them, hey, you know that the word Christmas is not in the Bible at all? The meaning of Christmas is in the Bible, but the biblical word for Christmas is good news. Not just my news, not just favorite news, not just preferential news, the good news. That God is about to do something that's meant to stir in us that he wants to use us in what he's doing in the world. And to do that means to first see what he's going to do as Jesus comes. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and I, I want to just transition to this important moment where we take communion today. And I thought about it a lot of ways that we could do this. But one way that kept coming to the surface in my heart as I was praying and preparing is that John the Baptist will grow up, and one of the first things he's going to say as he's teaching people, is he's going to say that he's not worthy to untie the sandals of Jesus' feet. I never saw this before. I never saw this theme of Isaiah about these feet who go and bring good news and then to start to see how God uses that image throughout the scriptures. You might not know this, but one of the things Jesus will do at the meal with his disciples is he will wash their feet. Let me read it for you. It's what we're told. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So he, Jesus, got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, 
and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I never, never connected the pieces together that Jesus is washing the feet of the first ones that are going to share his good news. These are the first ones. I wonder if Jesus washed his, their feet and said, guys, remember what Isaiah says about the feet, that sacrifice to bring good news? Many of you are going to die to share the good news that I'm giving you tonight. Many of you are going to pay with your lives. And Jesus is there. And this is such a violent, radical idea that Peter says, Jesus, you are not washing my feet. Think about for you what it would be like to take off your shoes, to take off your socks. The ancient world, dust, sandals, just a mess. And the one that you call a leader, you know, I'd be so ashamed. Like, let's just do this, but Jesus, make sure no one's around. We don't want them to know that this is the kind of stuff you do. This morning, I, I want us to come to the table with this idea that at Christmas, God asks us if we're ready to have our feet not only washed, but to be washed in a way that we are open to being sent to share His good news. That you would be open in your heart to say, God, I need to remember that the good news of Christmas is not just like an idea and a fun story that some people might like, but that you would help me to understand what it means in a sensitive way, in a thoughtful way, in a respectful way, to maybe share with other people how your good news is changing me. Now, I know all of us wish that God would have done it in a totally different way. I'm the first one to say, you should have just done this with the angels. But Jesus says, no, we're going to do it with you. The band's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to come down and just prepare you to receive communion. But I want you, as the band is singing the song, to think about what things Jesus might say to you as he washes your feet. What kinds of things would he talk to you about? What kinds of things would he remind you about? About the way his good news has been all along in your life. I think of the times maybe he would say to Peter, Peter, just take off your sandals. Peter, you remember when you got out of the boat and I was there? Matthew, you remember when everybody rejected you? You were a tax collector and my good news began to do something in you? Take off your sandals now. Each of us. Do you remember when you thought your prayers were never going to be answered and I answered them in a way that was even better than the way you were asking? Do you remember? Take off your shoes now. Take off your shoes. All of us have an opportunity this morning to begin this season moving towards Christmas by saying make us those who are ready, ready to sacrifice on the mountain to go and bring the good news of peace that people need to hear. There's someone in the story who is busy longing for money. Never took Jesus seriously. His name is Judas. There's another one who wasn't ready to do what God was preparing him to do, to be open to this good news, and God said, you will be silenced now. Don't be one of those people. Just come. Say, God, do something new this year. As we sing this song, let Jesus begin to stir in you.
what it looks like that he's washing our feet, preparing us to share this good news.